now as we turn our attention to the Gospel of John, and we're continuing the series I started on last week, Built to Last, Built to Last. We want to be a part of what Jesus said. He said, upon this rock, I will build my church, and the gates of Hades, the gates of hell will not prevail against it. Jesus said, I'm building my church to last. And so as we follow in the footsteps of Jesus, as we move to Middletown, I already know that my part, what God has for the church, will extend beyond my life. And so I want to just do my part to, uh, to uh, build on the foundation that Jesus has already laid, and you get an opportunity to do that as well. We want to do what will cause the church to go forward and that which will last. Amen? Amen. Amen. <clears throat> Let's begin in our reading in verse uh, 16 of John chapter 15, as has already been read. You did not choose me, but I chose you, and I appointed you. I, I, and I appointed you that you should go and bear fruit and that your fruit should remain. And whatever you ask, in the, ask the Father in my name, he may give it to you. These things I command you that you love, love one another. Let us pray. Father God, in the mighty name of Jesus, we thank you and we bless your name. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. Amen, amen, amen. I think I can go on now. Amen. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Washing my hands. Too. Amen. Praise Jesus. Amen. So if I get ready to shake your hand, you know. Amen. I'm going to do it. I'm going to do it one more time. One for the Father. One for the <laughs> Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Some of you uh, remember uh, the story I've shared with you. And... Uh, sometimes the things that happen in your life, you don't fully understand at the time. But when I look back, I realize that my experiences really impact how I preach, how I think, and uh, really give me uh, a way of appreciating the word even more deeply. I shared with you about a young man named Harry who lived in North Philadelphia, not far from where I lived. And what causes Harry's name to live in infamy is that he was the only guy in the neighborhood who had a basketball. Nobody else had a basketball. And so the only time we could play basketball was when Harry showed up. So we kind of studied his habits. We knew that he would show up about a certain time. And then when Harry showed up, there would be at least 40 guys standing around the courts when we had rims. Because <laughs> uh, when the guys got bored, they would tear the rims down. Uh, and so when Harry got there, uh, he, he would arrive and he would start practicing his one signature move on the sideline. I can still see him in that thing. 
You could not tell Harry that he was not a combination of Magic Johnson and Jerry West. He was a legend in his own mind. But every game, no matter win or lose, the way Harry rolled is he would, be, he would have to play. So when you would choose up for a new team, he was going to be on one of those teams. It was his ball. Not only would he be on the team, but every time he touched the ball, it was supposed to, it meant he would he was supposed to shoot. It didn't matter if it was half court, three quarter length of the court. If he felt like he had a good shot, Harry would shoot. And the problem was he couldn't shoot. He was a gunner. And most often, whatever team he played on, they were going to lose. But he didn't care because it was his ball and he would continue to play. And so sometimes guys from outside of the neighborhood that didn't know Harry would end up choosing a team that included Harry. They knew he had to be included, but they wanted to win. And so they would pass the ball to other players other than Harry. Even when they win, would win, we knew that if Harry didn't get most of the shots, he was going home. And so the game would end, they would win, and he said, I'm going home with my ball. <laughs> I'm leaving. Then do his little signature move. And then 40 guys would be begging, please, Harry, don't go. We go, let's come on, man. We'll give you another. And he just, it seemed like he really got great enjoyment out of torturing 40 guys who just wanted to play. But he would take his ball, and he would dribble off the court, and he would go home. If you're watching today, Harry, I just want you to know you were one cruel dude. Now, we didn't know what to call Harry's actions then, but we got a word for it now. It's called selfish. He, he couldn't care less about how his actions impacted other people. That's why he could take his ball and go home and leave us all upset. And once he left and there was no ball, the game was over and we all dispersed or start throwing bottles. You know, just people say, right, we got to have something to do. So Harry was extremely selfish. Now, most of us would not identify with Harry's actions. We would not think of ourselves as selfish. In fact, some of you may have never played the game of basketball and or have owned a basketball or would have been interested in playing if you could have been on the courts when I was on the court. But I do want you to understand that we do possess something called spiritual gifts and talents. And God has entrusted those gifts and talents to you as a steward, as one who is responsible for managing what he has given to you. And the Bible says it is required of a steward to be found faithful. So when you or I decide not to use 
the gifts that God has given us, the talents, by sitting on the sideline and watching others exhaust themselves, in many ways we're no different from Harry because you haven't taken your basketball, you've taken your spiritual gifts, and you've gone home. You had a good time. You were entertained. You want to come back to the next, the next show. <laughs> But you have spiritually exercised the characteristic of Harry. You are selfish. Now, I have to tell you that I was a little surprised when Elder Ward announced that we wanted people to sign up to help us as we make our move to Middletown. I expected a line. Everybody was going to be kind of arm wrestling trying to get to the door didn't play out like that. But I wonder this morning if you are guilty of Harry's sin, of selfishness. I wonder this morning if you recognize that every one of us will give an account to God for the things that he has entrusted, has called us to do. And when we don't use the gifts that God has given us, we're actually taking our ball and we're going home. Today, I want to challenge you from, Matt, from John chapter 15, as we build to last, is I want to challenge you with what Jesus challenges his disciples with, and that is answer God's call to serve. Notice I didn't say answer past Benson's call to serve. Answer God's call to serve. That's why Jesus said, you did not choose me. I chose you. And I appointed you to bear fruit, and that, that fruit that you bear would remain. And when you bear fruit that remains as you respond to the call to serve, you can then receive the conditional promise, ask anything of my Father in my name, and it will be done to you. Turn to somebody and say, answer the call answer the call. Now, the two verses, in verses uh, 16 and 17, when you get an opportunity to do some uh, deep diving, and we can't, this passage is just filled. Uh, Deacon McBride spent about eight weeks just unpacking the first four verses. So I'm not going to even attempt to try to fully explain the details. We're going to have to bounce around a little bit. But I want to share with you that verses uh, 16 and 17 are summaries of all that Christ has shared in the first 15 verses. Say summary. And they essentially say this. When we are serving, that is bearing spiritual fruit, serving and bearing spiritual fruit are synonymous. We are demonstrating our relationship to him, our love for him and other believers, and glorifying God. That's the summary. When we are serving, bearing fruit, spiritual fruit, we are demonstrating our relationship with him and our love for him and, and other believers, and we are glorifying God. And let me state it in a, neg in a negative way to give even further clarity. When you are not serving, bearing spiritual fruit, you are demonstrating that you may not really belong to him, and you lack love for him and other Christians, 
and are preventing the glory of God from being displayed. So it's just the opposite. When you serve the Lord, you're demonstrating, I belong to him. It is also saying, I love him and his followers. And because I do, and in my service, it brings glory to God. If you're not doing that, you're not glorifying God. You're not demonstrating love for him and his followers. And you are not demonstrating that you're even saved. Christians were saved. We were saved to serve. Saved to serve. So if you're comfortable just riding the pine, being a bench warmer, a, a spectator, we need to examine what's really going on in your profession of faith. Is your profession of faith uh, a true indication of a possession of faith? Because Jesus said, well, did Isaiah prophesy of you? This people draw near to me with their mouths, but their hearts are far from me. How do you know when your heart is far from the God? You shall know them by your fruit, by your work. The significance of these words cannot be overlooked in John chapter 15. They're part of a section of the scripture starting in chapter 13, going through 17, and it's called the Upper Room Discourse. These are the last sessions that Jesus has with his disciples before he is betrayed, and ultimately on the following day, he goes uh, to, the, to Golgotha where he's crucified. And so Jesus knew that these were his last days. And so he was saying, essentially, is when I go, I want you to be prepared for what is in front of you. But in order for me to continue to build what I promised, it's going to require that you answer the call to serve. And when you're answering the call to serve, one of the things that will be evident is your love one for another. And by our unconditional sacrificial love for one another, the Bible says Jesus will be known as our Savior and we will be recognized as his followers. Amen? And so as we go through the passage, I'm going to read some scripture. We'll start in verse 1 of chapter 15. It says, and the, I am the true vine, and my father is the vine dresser. He's the gardener. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that bears fruit, he prunes that it may bear more fruit. You are, you are already clean because of the word which I have spoken to you. Abide in me and I in you, as a branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. Verse 5, I am the vine, you are the branches. He who abides in me, and I in him bears much fruit. Say much fruit. For without me, you can do what? Can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is cast out as a branch and is withered. Anybody who superficially identifies with Christ you may be visibly associated with the church, making a public profession of faith like Judas and appear to be a part of the body of Christ, a part of the vine. He says of that kind of person who's only superficially through a profession of faith, that kind of person is ultimately going to end up in hell because they never fully, they were never truly saved. They were never truly saved, even though they had the appearance of godliness. 
but deny the power thereof. I'm the vine. He says, if any man does not abide in me, he is cast out as a branch is withered, and they gather them and they throw them into the fire and are burned. And here it is. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, you will what? Ask what you will, what you will, and it shall be done. By this, my father is glorified that you bear much fruit. So you will be my disciple. It's interesting that the the word abide occurs 11 times in verses 1. It's chapter 11 times. And the word bear fruit or the phrase bear fruit occurs eight times. So I think Jesus is trying to get our attention about bearing fruit and how that is only possible as we abide in him. Now, I want to start off by answering the question, what does it mean? What does it mean to bear fruit? And again, I've made it the equivalent of bearing fruit is serving the Lord. When we're bearing fruit at the same time, we're serving the Lord. He said, I'm the true vine, and Father's the gardener. He, that, he cuts off every branch, etc. So there, what's interesting, there are four different characters in this section of Scripture. There are four different characters that the Lord introduces to us. First, Jesus said, I am the vine. The vine is Jesus. He said, God is the vine dresser or the gardener, the one who keeps the vine intact. That's God the Father. And then he identifies two other characters. He says there are the branches, the one that doesn't bear fruit, third character. And then the fourth character is the branch that is a part of the vine that bears fruit. And he says that he prunes the vine. So there are two types of branches. Question is, which of, which of the two are you? Are you the kind that bears fruit, that evidences your relationship with Christ through, through service? Or are you the second category of branches that, that actually, that the one doesn't bear fruit, and this, the second category is a group that bears, bears fruit? Now, a, a practical explanation of, of, of I, want, I want you to understand this. Jesus, when he leads the disciples, including Judas, he is walking past a place called Gethsemane. That's where Je- that was Jesus' prayer closet. And he has said to, the, to his 12 that I must go to Jerusalem. I'm going to be turned over into the hands of cruel men. They will accuse me, and they will, they will actually ultimately kill me. And Peter said, nah, it ain't happening. Everybody else can deny you. And so as they're walking to the place where they're going to gather it to be in an upper room, they are, they are coming into contact with vineyards. So this, the, what Jesus is describing and illustrating, they're physically seeing vines with branches that have fruit. Jesus was the master illustrator. And so travel back with me as Jesus is walking the disciples en route of the, to the place where he's going to be sharing with them uh, what his expectations of them is. And so physical fruit bearing, uh, think of physical fruit bearing in this way. So he describes the actual fruit that he's seeing. Fruit isn't produced simply to grow, to, be, to look good, to be admired, or studied for its shapes and colors. Uh, so when you think of fruit, and I'm going tr- to relate it to, so physical fruit, you see apples, oranges, and this, is, well, this was cruel back in the day. You go 
to someone's home and you see this beautiful bowl of fruit. And it's like, oh, man, I can't wait until they offer me an apple or an orange. And they step out the room. You just want to make sure that they're, no, you know, they're not right. So you touch the fruit, and then you realize it ain't real. <laughs> it's artificial. Now, I'm going to admit that I've actually bitten into artificial fruit before I actually got a good feel. And so... Physical fruit is not made to to just be admired. Fruit is made to nourish, to strengthen, to share, to, to, to make us, to give us nutrients and vitamins that we need to have strong. So, there, so fruit is given for the purpose of being beneficial, not to be just sitting to be looked at. Somebody say amen. In the same way, spiritual fruit bearing is like physical fruit bearing, that is, Jesus speaks about it. He's referring to, when it comes to spiritual fruit, it's even different. Jesus is saying physical fruit meets physical needs, temporal needs. It'll make your stomach full. It'll give you energy. It'll make you feel better if you were tired and you needed energy. But the kind of fruit bearing that Jesus is talking about is supernatural. The aim is to have an eternal impact by meeting the needs of people on the deepest level. So when Christ says we bear fruit, he's talking about that we bear the kind of fruit that is invisible, but it penetrates down to the soul and the spirit, and it meets people where they really are so that they can become one, and they can experience a relationship with Christ, but they can also grow deep in that relationship. So spiritual fruit has to do with meeting the deeper needs. Our greatest needs are not physical. They're spiritual. That's why Jesus said when he, was, he had fasted for 40 days, and the Bible says he was hungry, and Satan a, approached Jesus and tried to tempt him, and he said, if you are the son of God, turn these stones into bread. You hungry. You need to eat. And then Jesus responded with a rhema, a preceding word. He says, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceedeth out of the mouth of God. In other words, there's a deeper need even when you fasted for 40 days and 40 nights. We have a spiritual need. And so as believers, God has so connected us to Jesus who is the vine and we are the branches. We produce the kind of fruit that will give what natural bread can't give and it will satisfy the soul. We have the ability to satisfy soul needs, inner needs, life changing, not just changing. See, changing Changes are temporary. What we have the ability to do is bring results called transformation. Transformation is not from the outside in, it's from the inside out. And so he says, God has called us to bear supernatural fruit, the kind of fruit that Jesus talked about that will actually feed your very soul. Jesus talks about, he says, the fruit that he wants us to, to, to produce in relationship to our connection with him, that we have the capacity to produce that is eternal. He says, I want you to produce fruit that will last, that will remain. Somebody say last. Jesus illustrates what he meant by the fruit that meets our deepest need. 
in the midnight hour when you're crying, when you don't understand why you got that diagnosis, when everything that everybody has said still hasn't given you any joy, any peace, any relief, any sense that God is even present. Jesus said to the woman who was at the well, uh, she was at Jacob's well, she was a Samaritan, and Jesus was ministering to her, and he asked her for a cup of water, and she said, wait a minute, how can you put your Jewish lint on my Samaritan cup? And then Jesus answered, and he said to her, whoever drinks this water will thirst again, but whoever drinks the water that I shall give him will never thirst. But the water that I shall give him will become in him a, a well of water springing up to everlasting life. Jesus said, that's the kind of water that we have to offer. That's the kind of fruit that we can bear, that it will meet a need that Jacob's well's water will never meet, that a man will never meet, that, uh, that, uh, that, that a new house will never meet, that a job promotion will never meet, that, that liposuction and barrier, all that ain't going to give you this kind. Said, I will give you the kind of satisfaction that will not only meet your need in the present, but it will last throughout eternity. That's the type of fruit that as Christians, we have been called to produce. Now, the question is, what is required? What is required of us to bear this type of fruit? How do we bear this kind of fruit? And something's happening in my walk with the Lord, and it's, it's so sweet. I'm just, I'm, I'm just experiencing the Lord on an entirely different level. I, I can't even explain it to y'all. I just know, he said, eyes have not seen Ears have not heard, nor has entered into the hearts of men what God has prepared for those who love him. And so God is beginning to whisper some things. I'm, I'm hearing some, 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 some things, and I'm seeing stuff that, that are, that's beyond what I was incapable of seeing before. Anybody know what I'm talking about? And so, so the question is, what is required? If the Lord said, I want you to have an eternal impact, I want you to be the kind of person that when someone comes in your kind, they can be nourished by your presence. They can be built up by their interaction with you. Their lives can be transformed because they have been with you. How, how does that happen? What, what, what is required? Well, the first thing that is required is prioritizing your personal relationship with Jesus. Making spiritual growth the most important thing in your life. Now, this is so key. I was, on, I was going to visit Daryl, and uh, on the second floor of the IC unit, but I had another patient that I needed to see. And so when I go, I got this hospice badge, and that can spook people. I always turn it around. You so, <laughs> ain't dying. I'm just coming and visit. So, so I go into the room on the opposite side of the hall, 2D, and they gave me the room number. I saw it on my computer. I went in, and I introduced myself to the lady, and I told her who I was. She said, that ain't me. That ain't my name. <laughs> so I thought maybe the medication, she's delirious. And some people, when they're dying, that's how they are. So now I got to figure out, am I in the right room, wrong room? You know how long it took me to find a nurse? 15 minutes. Understaffed. Hospitals full to capacity. Hey, you can be, you'd be in ICU for a week and not even an ICU patient. You're not even appropriate for ICU. You might be in ICU for a week and nobody even clean your room. Or you get a bath in three or four days. 
Now, I'm not saying that that's happening anywhere where we live. I ain't saying that. Amen. For those who work in the hospital and doing a hard job, God, I'm just simply saying that people are overworked and, we over, and folks are understaffed. This is not a good time to go to the hospital. But if you're sick, take yourself to the hospital. Go on and get, go, get, go get healed. Jesus said those who are sick need a physician. So my point is that people, and I, I, I'm trying to catch myself when somebody says, how are you doing? The first thing I can start telling, telling people what I'm, what, I, what I'm doing, not how I'm doing. Everybody's busy. Everybody's just being pulled in a thousand different directions. So when we ask someone, join us as we prepare to relocate. We need your help. Uh, their, their, their ministries. It's like, how do I get a chance to even do it? I'm so busy. Anybody, can you identify with that? Yeah. Amen. Now I ain't talking about you jokers ain't doing nothing. Uh, no, I'm talking about people that <laughs> Amen. <laughs> Some of us who are retired need to retire to retire. Because <laughs> you're doing more retired than you did before you retired. So my point is, I believe that one of the tricks of the enemy is to get us so distracted by the, Jesus we, Paul said, we look not at the things that are seen, but everything that we see is temporal, that we are so engaged in the temporal that we are misdirected from what matters most. And that is, you've got to make time for the Lord. He said, if you abide in me and my words abide in you, you can ask whatever you will and it will be done. And so the first thing that needs to happen in order for us to abide in the Lord, we're going to need to prioritize our relationship with him. You need to make getting close to Jesus. And that's all the word abide means is stay close, stay near, continue in communion and fellowship with him. Don't let anything come between you and the Lord. Prioritize your relationship with the Lord. Uh, you, you guys may be able to understand this. With, I don't have my phone up here, but there are places in my house that have weak, when the signal on my phone is weak. There are times when you can get in your car and drive in Delaware. The further you go into the country, the weaker your signal is. So what you want to do, based on whatever your phone company is, you want to find a phone tower. Because the phone tower is going to give you the, 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 the electronic signals that will, will cause your phone to operate the way that it should. So when the Lord says, abide in me, he said, you need to stay close to the phone tower. You need to stay close. See, the, the closer we are to the Lord, the stronger the signals from heaven are. If the signal is weak, the further we get away from the Lord because you're not praying, you're not in your word, you're not fellowshipping with godly people, you, you're not being led by the Spirit, you're not being obedient to the word, the signal will get weak. It gets, and, the, and the further we get away, you, you, the, the heaven actually shuts down. That's why the Bible says, if we walk in the light as he is in light, we have fellowship, not only with one another, but we have fellowship with him. My question to you is, have you prioritized your walk with the Lord, or, or is your signal so weak that you can't even hear heaven? Prioritize. The way we're going to bear fruit, it starts with prioritizing. Abide in him. Stay close to him. Remain in contact with the Lord through prayer, through his word, through godly relationships, through fellowship with other Christians. 
to being led by the Spirit and being obedient. That's how you stay close. That's how you stay connected to the power that gives you the signal to operate in the fullness of the call of God on your life. Prioritize your relationship with him. Somebody say prioritize. Here's the second thing that is required for those who want to abide in the Lord. You need to be proclaiming the gospel. He said, go into all the world and do what? Preach, proclaim, declare, tell others about Jesus. I want everybody to come to New Direction Bible Fellowship, but you can come here and bust hell wide open. What we want most importantly is that people to come into a saving life. So prioritize your relationship with Christ, but you need to be proclaiming the gospel. When's the last time you told somebody about Jesus? We'll talk about the Eagles and the Sixers when they win. Even the Flyers are winning occasionally. But when are you telling somebody, Paul said, I'm not ashamed of the euangelion, the gospel, for it is the power of God unto salvation to everyone who believes. And so you need to, so, and when I'm abiding in the Lord, I'm going to prioritize my relationship with the Lord. I'm also going to be proclaiming the gospel. That's how we stay close. That's how the signal stays strong. But we also will be producing disciples that make disciples. The Apostle Paul says, in all things, all the things that you have heard me say in the presence of many witnesses, entrust to reliable people who will also be qualified to teach us. Make disciples that make disciples. When I'm abiding in him, when I'm staying close to him, when I am intimately in communion with the Lord, I will be making disciples. That's what Christians are supposed to do. Devil don't care nothing about you coming to church, but the Lord didn't save you and me to become keepers of the aquarium, but to be fishers of men. We need to be reaching people for Jesus. And as we do, we need to be teaching them to observe all the things that Jesus has taught us. Who are you discipling? Who are you discipling? Are you simply devout? Oh, I got great personal devotions. And man, I can't wait until I get the you version for next week on leadership. And all. You got all this information. But ain't using it to help nobody. You acting like Harry. We also, not only should we prioritize our relationship with Christ and proclaiming the gospel and producing disciples that make it, well, you need to be portraying the fruit of the Spirit. He said, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, fighting in the Lord. <laughs> so we see what, what is required, prioritizing your relationship with the Lord, proclaiming the gospel. Uh, reproducing disciples that make disciples, portraying the fruit of the Spirit, and putting your spiritual good. Now, how do you know? How do you know? What's the evidence that you are, that you are, amen, praise the Lord in Jesus' name, that you are, are that you are body in Christ? One of the things is you're going to produce fruit. Say, I'm going to produce fruit. And the fruit is the things that I just mentioned. You'll be spending time with the Lord. That's fruit. You'll be praying. You'll be, you'll be reading your word. You'll be applying the word. There'll be fruit. But there also you'll be experiencing pruning. Pruning says every fruit that bears, every fruit that bears fruit, the Lord said, the Lord, the Lord prunes. He cuts. He takes away the excess. And so what happens is 
in order for you and I to become the best that we to reach our full potential in Christ, God the gardener, just like we do when our grass grows too high, when our bushes grow too high, we cut the excess away. And when you do, the bush becomes more firmer, it becomes more stable, it becomes more, it, it can actually get larger by cutting the excess away. Somebody say amen. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm in all of this right here. <laughs> but how does he cut stuff away? How does God prune? How does he remove stuff? This is how you know that you are abiding in the Lord. First thing is conviction. Conviction, uh, for, for, conviction will come. When you, one of the things that the closer you are to the Lord, the more you will sense the Holy Spirit speaking to you when you're thinking wrong and getting ready to do something wrong. There will be conviction. That's the ministry of the Holy Spirit. So if you find that you're coming under deeper conviction, that doesn't mean that you aren't growing. The reason you're convicted is because you are growing. So there will be conviction. There will also be chastisement for correction. When, when, when there are things in our life that don't please the Lord, the Lord said, I chasten those. I discipline those. I correct those who I love. Any loving parent, the Bible says, if you spare the rod, if you don't chastise and discipline your children, that's not the presence of love. That's the absence of love. So God cuts stuff away from us by chastening us like he did Jonah. He chased after him and he disciplined him by allowing him to be thrown overboard into a great fish. And he entered into Fish Belly University. By the time Jonah got out, he had acid on his face. All his hair was gone. And he was ready to preach. Sometimes God is calling us to preach, but we ain't ready. And so we go, instead of going to Nineveh, we go to Tarshish, and the Lord will pursue us. And then Jonah had sense enough to know. He said, if you don't throw me overboard, everybody on this boat, God is going to get his man. FBI may not, but God will always get his man or his woman. And you never have any peace. I don't know how Jonah slept on that boat. Sin will do that. It'll make you, it'll make you just put you in a comatose state, and you're not even in a coma. But God chases those people. He also challenges us. Here's how he put it. He challenges us through testing. James says, consider it all joy, my brother, when you are tested. But let patience have it. In other words, what God will do to take away things in our life, he will take, he will take you through the fire. He will take you through experiences. So some of the stuff that you're going through, and, and you're, just, you're, you're serving the Lord in ways that you've never served, and you're praying, you're sharing, you know all those things. You know that you're trying. Well, God will prune to make you grow even more by testing you to show you that we're not really where we thought we should be or how to get to where he wants us to be. He will challenge us. Somebody say, you'll challenge. Here's another thing. Not only will you experience pruning, you will also experience answered prayers. When you are abiding in the Lord, your prayers will be answered. He said, if you abide in me and my words abide in you, you will do what? You can ask, you can pray, and it will be given. What's your prayer life like? I ain't talking about bless me, Lord. That ain't no prayer. That's a shotgun. Boom! You're going to hit something. But praying, he says, if any man lack wisdom, let him ask of God. Right. In other words, get really specific. You're going to ask God about, it, about specific things when you need wisdom. And when he answers your prayers because you are abiding in him, you can give him thanks because you know the specific thing that he has answered. How is your prayer like? Is the Lord answering your prayers? When he does, you are abiding. You'll experience uh, answered prayers. You'll also experience a deeper Love relationship with the Lord. He said, my commandment is this, that you love one another 
no greater love than this. What happens is as you're abiding with the Lord, your love for Jesus grows so deep. And, and, and here's, here's how I knew I was growing, and this was years ago. I used to serve the Lord because I was afraid. I was waiting for the hammer to drop. <laughs> you know, I go into the movies and the rapture is going to come and I'm going to get left. So I, I served the Lord out of the fear of, of a God who was going to judge me. But the more I grow, the more, when, when you're children, they, they, they obey us when they're younger out of fear. They, you could spank them. You, you big. You, you can just look at them real tough and they, they just melt. Cause, so they, 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 you want them to respect you. But as they get older, the reason why you want them to listen to you is because they love you. That, there's a deeper intimacy when people are responding to you out of love, not out of fear. And so when, when I am abiding, when I am connected, when I'm staying close to him, my love for him is deep. I don't want to do certain things because I love the Lord. Joseph said, how can I do this against the Lord? I could do this. I might even get away. Nobody may even talk about it. Ain't no cameras. Ain't nothing recording. I mean, I could actually do this, and it don't end up on Facebook or, or Twitter. I, I, I can get away with this, but if I did it, it would break the heart of God. That's what you want in your marriage. You want somebody who loves God more than they love you because if they love God like that, you don't have to worry about them. You also experience increasing joy. He says, my joy may remain in you, the joy of the Lord, and your joy will be full. When I'm connected to the Lord, I ain't, I ain't pessimistic down in the mouth. Hey, it's so terrible. He might get reelected. The, 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 the interest rate and, man, my toe hurts, my ear hurts. And it looks funny outside. I know they said it's going to rain three years from now, but let me go in and get me my... No, no, no. The joy of the Lord will be increased in your life to overflowing when you are abiding. One of the evidences is you aren't going to be walking around, woe is me, and in depression because the joy of the Lord. You'll have an internal contentment that will allow you to feel stable even in the midst of your storms. Somebody know what I'm talking about. You got your own party going on because the Lord's joy is released in your circumstances because of how near you are to him. Somebody needs to get closer. Say get closer. Because if you draw nigh unto him, he will draw what he'll draw nigh unto you. I'm so glad the Lord ain't fleeing from me. The Lord is willing and ready for me to commune and to fellowship with him. All you and I have to do is open up the door and he will abide. He will stay with me. He will be connected to me. He will allow me to have sweet communion in such a way that I am able to rejoice. And I didn't have to pay a dime. I can be in his presence. I also, when I'm abiding with him, my life will be glorifying the Lord. The light, he said, your light shall, your, your light shall so shine before men that they will, bring, they will be caused to give God credit. They'll be caused, people ain't even say bragging on God. That's what happens when we are abiding. That's what happens when we are abiding, we will be serving, we will be bearing fruit. You will experience Deeper intimacy. Anybody want deeper intimacy with the Lord? Yes. My grandma, we didn't go many places when I was growing up. I went downtown and home. That's as far as Philadelphia was to me. 
Now, we go to the Phillies game. That was, we walked to the Phillies game up on 23rd and, what is that, Turn 23rd and Columbia or something? No, not, no, 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 no. Lehigh, yeah, we walk up there. That's where Deliverance Evangelist Church, we were risking life and limb to go. Might not come home, but we would see the Phillies lose. I mean, we would really see the Phillies, go to see the Phillies. But when, when I got a chance to go downtown, my grandmom would say, stay close. Stay close. She said, when, when I'm walking, and she'd look at me, when I'm walking, you hold my hand. I'm like, I'm going to hold your hand. <laughs> and she said, when I stop, you stop me, you hold my coat. And so she said, I'm going to let you see some toys as long as you stay close. And so we'd be walking around and everything. I'm holding her hand when we're walking. And when she stops, I'm holding her. But then when I saw the toys, <laughs> I kind of let go of her coat. And I found myself drifting away, yeah. captured by the toys. And before long, I didn't know where my grandma was. Her voice was distant. Her presence was beyond view. And now I'm panicked because I didn't stay close. And, in my, in, in my, and so, so I'm lost. And I, 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 I have no idea what's going to happen. But I had sense enough to say, somebody get me close. Somebody find grandma. Somebody get me near. Somebody step in this situation. And when grandma showed up, guess what? I, I grabbed a hold of that hand and I squeezed it. She said, you don't have to hold it so tight. Oh, I don't ever want to let go because when I'm holding his hand, you're safe. When you're holding his hand, you're blessed. When you're holding his hand, he said, your joy will be full. When you're holding his hand, you can ask whatever you will. And he said, I will do it. Will you answer? Will you answer to the call to serve? Now, let me finish with this. Why should you? We talked about how, how to know when you are abiding so that you can bear fruit. We talked about what it means to abide and what it means to bear fruit. But now, why should you? Well, verse 16 says, you didn't choose me. I chose you. You've been called. <laughs> It wasn't, a, you didn't deserve it, I didn't deserve it. The Bible says we are all sinners separated from God. There is none righteous, no, not one. But God chose you to serve him. So you ought to serve out of the gratefulness in your heart that God chose you. He selected you. He picked you out. Not because of how good you look or that we would be doing, that we would do everything that's right. Somebody say, I sin. Amen. Amen. I know I do. Amen. Not as much as you, but ah! <laughs> I set you up for that one. <laughs> he chose you. He chose you. He chose you and he gave you an assignment. He said that you will bear fruit. That means that you are anointed. You are ordained. I ain't no preacher. I ain't no elder or deacon. What do you mean? Because he, if you're chosen, you are anointed and you are ordained to, to complete your specific time. What is your time? That you would bear fruit and that that fruit would remain. You have a job to do. You have a job to do to have that personal relationship with Jesus, to proclaim the gospel, to produce disciples that make disciples. You have a job to do. 
You have to have to produce to portray spiritual fruit and to use your spiritual gifts. You have to bear fruit and the fruit that will remain as you're pouring into people's lives. There ought to be somebody who you are discipling, who you are developing. That is the fruit. Every man's work shall be tried. You will stand before Almighty God, and he's going to look to see if you fulfilled your calling. Did you fulfill your assignment to bear fruit and the fruit that remains, starting in your own Jerusalem, starting with your children, starting with your marriage, starting with your wife, starting with your children. Start right there. So he gave us an assignment. That's our purpose, to bear fruit to have fruit that remains. We're building to last, amen? Amen. But he also gave us a promise. And here's the promise. He said, if you bear fruit that remains based on the assignment that I gave you, you can ask whatever you will of my father, and he will do it. Now, we know that God ain't going to do anything that's outside of the word. Don't be telling me, God told me I could have your husband. God told me I could have your wife. God told me that you're supposed to give me your salary. I'll be home. When, just let me know when it's going into my... No, no, God's not going to tell you that. But he said, if you ask, having obeyed the command to respond to the call to serve, to bear fruit, he said, I will speak on your behalf and my father will do it. You wonder why your prayers aren't answered. I, it probably because you ain't serving. You wonder why your prayers aren't being answered because you ain't abiding. You wonder why your prayers aren't being answered because you're not living in obedience to the word. When I'm living in obedience to the word, not only will I love other Christians in Jesus, but that act will show that I am in love. The Bible says, if you belong to me, you will keep my commandments. You say you're a Christian, but you don't obey the word of God. I don't care what the devil says. You don't know Jesus. The devil knows the word. The devil can quote the word, but the devil cannot obey the word. When you are saved, you will bear fruit. There will be evidence of your relationship with Jesus. Stand with me. Will you answer the call? Will you answer the call? Will you answer the call to serve? Years ago, in the country of Argentina, it was required that every citizen go into the military, serve the mil- in the military. It didn't matter. Woman or male, male or female, you're going to serve. So at 8, 8, 18, you were getting a letter in the mail to report to your training site. So a young man who was born without arms got his letter in the mail. He knew it had to be a mistake. I'm born without arms. Why would they do it? It was insulting to him. In fact, he was angry because he had bitterness in his heart that he was born without arms. But the letter said report on a designated date at a designated place. So he gets to the the training facility. He gets off the bus. And the sergeant begins to call the names. And with each name, he gives each person an assignment, something specific to do. And then he gets to the man, the young man who has no arms. And he says... Young man, I want you to go to the top of the hill and help the man that's on, the, on that hill fill buckets, fill the buckets with water. And then the young man said, Sergeant, can't you see, sir? I have no arms. What can I do? And the sergeant replied, You can tell the soldier when the buckets are full because he's blind. 
he blind. There's something for all of us to do. You may not do what I do, but that doesn't matter. There's work for all of us to do. The question is, will you answer God's call to serve? Amen. 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 Let's pray.